Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. As COVID cases surge in California, we decided to check back in with some of the nurses and doctors we followed early in the outbreak. Today, we hear from an emergency room nurse in the Bay Area. KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg has his story. Watching the national numbers tick up feels all too familiar to Douglas Fry. It feels frustrating that we're back here again, kind of where we were when this all began. This was incredibly predictable. Last time we dodged a bullet out here in California in the San Francisco Bay Area, and this time we kind of see it happening, so it's familiar. I don't feel, not yet at least, like I'm freaking out inside quite as much, but I have to wonder if maybe this time we won't dodge the bullet. His hospital is not overwhelmed yet, and they're more prepared this time. Surge plans are in place, and masks and gowns are highly stocked. But Fry worries his colleagues are suffering from pandemic fatigue. One of the most concerning things that I see in the emergency department is staff maybe getting too familiar with the concern for COVID. I'll see folks sometimes walking into a room with just a regular mask on and not an N95 to do something real quickly. Some staff aren't wearing masks at all while they're chatting at nursing stations. I bring this up because there have been staff-to-staff outbreaks in our department. He fears colder weather will lead to more spread inside the hospital. He says staff may be tempted to take breaks indoors or eat lunch in shared spaces. I hope we can, as a community and a country, come together on getting this under control. At home, Fran and his wife are making tough choices. They've decided not to share a big family meal for Thanksgiving. It feels too risky to expose their college boys to grandparents. I think we all together came to the conclusion that this year we need to love each other enough to not see each other for Thanksgiving. He hopes other families make similar calls during the holiday season. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs, a Democrat, has lost re-election to his challenger, Republican pastor and veteran Kevin Lincoln. Tubbs conceded the race on Tuesday. The California Report Central Valley reporter Alex Hall has more on what the outcome means for Tubbs's initiatives that have generated so much national attention. Probably the idea Mayor Michael Tubbs is best known for is testing out on Stockton residents whether a guaranteed income actually works. The Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration was always meant to be temporary. 125 people were given $500 a month, no strings attached, for a year and a half. And that was set to expire this past summer. But then COVID hit, and Tubbs extended the program through January. And he started the Mayors for a Guaranteed Income. This is now much bigger than Stockton. There are cities across America who have picked up this mantle. Natalie Foster, co-chair of the Economic Security Project, says the study will continue as planned. And so far, 25 mayors have signed on to push for guaranteed income at the federal level. The work he set up, the work that is now national, is 
even more important in this crisis we're in, where so many families can't work. Lang Luntao, executive director of the reInvent Stockton Foundation, which works to implement several programs Tubbs started, says those projects will live on. Tubs or no tubs? From a very technical perspective, the programs we've launched in Stockton are built to be resilient. What Luntao is concerned about is maintaining the momentum the mayor created. I think the most significant negative impact will be on Stockton's reputation. Um, We've been known more for our illiteracy and economic challenges and crime. And the past four to eight years, that's begun to change. Over the past two weeks, as ballots were processed and Lincoln's lead over Tubbs expanded, many speculated that criticism of the mayor and allegations of corruption on the local blog 209 Times likely played a role in influencing voters. If you're bombarded with all that information, even if it's fake or if it's like super tabloidy, I think it does have the power to shift a narrative. It's unclear whether Kevin Lincoln, who defeated Tubbs, supports the initiatives that created so much national attention. But he did say his goal is to focus on the priorities of Stockton residents. For The California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Budget projections released yesterday, which show that the state's finances are in a better position than many expected would be the case this many months into the pandemic. KQED's Katie Orr has more. California's leaders were expecting the worst for the economy when the pandemic hit. But a new report from the nonpartisan Legislative Analyst Office shows tax revenues this fiscal year have actually come in ahead of projections, while the number of people signing up for assistance programs has been below expectations. LAO Gabe Pettick says those are among the reasons the state finds itself with a one-time windfall of $26 billion. He's recommending putting half of it toward budget reserves and paying off borrowing. The other half of the windfall, we do think it would be reasonable to consider using it for the mitigation of economic hardship or pandemic-related activities. Pettick stresses the state should still expect an operating deficit in the years to come. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. California's attorney general, along with 33 other states and DAs for Alameda, Santa Clara and Santa Cruz counties, has announced a $113 million settlement against Apple. Rachel Myro has more from KQED's Silicon Valley desk. The settlement resolves allegations that Apple claimed iPhone software updates would improve power management instead of the truth that they throttled processing performance in order to deal with a problem involving aging batteries that caused iPhone 6s and 7s especially to automatically shut down. Along with paying $113 million, Apple has agreed to post clear language about the issue on its website and in the iPhone settings menu. Another private class action litigation got Apple to cough up $500 million in restitution. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison 
in California. Forced to make a choice, fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. In Sacramento County, a top health official is under fire for using a racist slur when referring to the Asian American community, while at the same time acknowledging that racism is a public health crisis. In Sacramento, CAP Radio's race and equity reporter Sarah Mises Tan reports. Earlier this week, the county's Board of Supervisors issued a resolution agreeing that racism was an issue of public health. In response, Dr. Peter Billinson, the county's public health director, came up to agree with this categorization, but then used a long-standing slur to describe Asian Americans, calling the group yellow folks. Arthi Coley of the Asian Law Caucus says the term shouldn't be used, ever, especially in regards to anti-racism work. The term connotes this notion of fear, the fear of the other, the fear of disease. And it's not a term that Asian American communities have embraced. Bielinson has since apologized, but advocates say the use of the word comes at a particularly challenging time, as Asian Americans have seen a rise in hate crimes during the pandemic as a result of comments from the president. For The California Report, I'm Sarah Mises-Tan in Sacramento. More than two weeks after Election Day, two of California's congressional districts remain uncalled. But we already know that the blue wave from 2018, when Democrats flipped several Republican seats, didn't hold up so well in 2020. KQED's Guy Marzarati has been analyzing returns each and every day. He joins us now. Hey, Guy. Hey, Lily. So California has 53 congressional seats. Remind us where things stand. Well, we know Democrats are going to hold the vast majority uh, of those congressional seats at the end of this election. What we're really focused on is the seven seats that flipped from Republican to Democrats in 2018 as part of that so-called blue wave. And it looks like Republicans could make huge gains in taking back uh, a lot of those seats. Currently, they will, they know they're going to control two of those seven seats going into next year. And there's still vote counting happening in two more of those seats. One is in the 21st district, which spans from outside of Fresno down to the outskirts of Bakersfield. That's where David Valadeo, Republican, is trying to take back his old seat. And then in the 25th district, north of Los Angeles, that's Katie Hill's uh, old district before she resigned. Um, Republicans uh, lead in both of vote, those vote counts. So at the end of this, they might get back four of those seven seats. And Lily, that's part of a nationwide trend where we've seen Republicans have unexpected success in these House uh, elections. According to the Cook Political Report, none of the seats that they rated as toss-up have been won by Democrats. That's so interesting. So, Guy, as we see Democrats losing a couple of these seats that they were able to flip two years ago, I got to ask, why do you think that is? I think what might be going on here is the fact that in 2018, it was the kind of the culmination of frustration and disgust that a lot of Californians had with the presidency of Donald Trump that built throughout 2017 and throughout 2018. The only recourse that voters had uh, at the ballot box in, in those cases to express their dislike of Donald Trump was to vote out their Republican House member. Two years later, those same voters in California still don't like Donald Trump. 
But they have a new uh, recourse to take, and that is directly vote against Trump, vote for Joe Biden, while still maybe choosing to vote for a Republican in a House seat. So I think it's this ticket splitting where we see very close contests between Republican and Democratic House members, but Joe Biden enjoying uh, more of a comfortable lead. And one of the things that's so interesting about what you've been doing is you are watching these vote counts get updated each and every day. What are some of the insights that you're gleaning from that in terms of how this year this election was different from the 2018 midterms? Well, yeah, Lily, it's been really interesting to watch because in years past, California Republicans have embraced early mail voting with Democrats making up more of the provisional and late mail ballots that get counted late in the process. So in 2018, we saw these tight congressional races that initially trended Republican flip blue as these mail ballots and provisional ballots got added. In 2020, that's flipped. And, you know, as we watch these returns come in after Election Day, Democrats are not making up ground. And I think this has a lot to do with the fact that the country's top Republican, Donald Trump, falsely casting doubt for months on mail-in ballots, leading many Republicans, I think, to abandon early mail voting and thus have their votes counted later. All right. Well, thank you for keeping an eye on all of this for us. KQED's Guy Marzarati. Thank you. And that is the California Report for this Thursday. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 770 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Earth Justice, a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the Earth needs a good lawyer, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at SchmidtFutures.com. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.